Hey everybody, it's Steve Carroll from the Invasive Podcast. Today I'm debuting a brand new feature for the podcast. After doing this podcast for a year and thinking about where I want it to go, I've decided to step up production a little bit to give you a weekly podcast. I'm going to give it a shot and see how it goes. My plan is to release a new episode every Monday morning, so when you wake up on Monday, there will be a new episode to start your week. Don't worry, you'll still get an in-depth review of an emergency medicine topic twice a month, just like before, but for the weeks in between, we'll be doing what I'm calling EM Basic Essential Evidence. In these short podcasts, I'll be reviewing the literature that I think you should know, or at least be aware of. For each episode, I'll talk about one article that is either the old game changer that everyone knows about, or a newer article, hot off the presses, that everyone else is talking about. Either way, I want it to be a gateway to your own reading of the literature, and not just listening to me spoon-feed the information. For each episode, I'll talk about a particular study in depth, and I'll cover the study design, its methods, the results, and the bottom line that you need to know. I'll even talk about the basic statistical methods used in the article, and throw in some clinical pearls along the way. But don't take my word for it. My goal is for you to download the article, and read through it yourself, and draw your own conclusions based on your own knowledge and experience. I won't be providing any written summaries to this part of the podcast, because I want you to go look up the articles for yourself. Many of them are available online for free, because they are the big names in EM literature, but some you may have to get through your institution's medical library or internet subscription like Ovid. Whenever the free text of the article is available, I'll post it directly on the EM Basic website, so you can download it and read it easily. I also want this to be a collaboration, so if there's an article out there that you think meets the criteria of being an old game changer, or a hot-off-the-press article that everyone is talking about, then email it to me, and I will talk about it at some point. In keeping with this list of must-read literature, I will post an entire year's worth of literature, the top 25 articles that I think you should read in emergency medicine. I'll go through each article one by one on the podcast, but please feel free to read ahead and just use the podcast as reinforcement. I hope that you find this new part of the podcast useful, and as always... I welcome any feedback on how to make it better. So let's get started on the first EM Basic Essential Evidence podcast. As always, this podcast doesn't represent the views or opinions of the Department of Defense, the U.S. Army, or the Fort Hood Post Command. Our first article for the podcast is the Rivers Sepsis article in the New England Journal of Medicine. All of our current strategies for recognizing and treating sepsis in the ED started here, so we should know this one cold. The title of the article is Early Goal-Directed Therapy, in the Treatment of Severe Sepsis and Septic Shock, published in New England Journal of Medicine, November 8, 2001. The first author is Emmanuel Rivers. So let's talk about the background of the paper. So the previous work in the area of sepsis showed that aggressive therapy didn't work once the patients were up in the ICU. These studies enrolled patients once they were there for up to 72 hours before they would start the study protocol. So why not start aggressive therapy sooner in the emergency department? So this was a randomized controlled trial at one hospital. So this represents one of the higher levels of evidence since the patients were randomly assigned into a control group and a treatment group. The only level higher would be to do this trial at multiple hospitals to account for treatment and geographical variations. This would be a multi-center randomized controlled trial. So 263 patients were enrolled, 130 patients got early goal-directed therapy, and 133 patients were put into the standard care group. So every patient in this study met criteria for severe sepsis or septic shock, meaning at least two out of four SERS criteria, 
a suspected or known source of infection, and a blood pressure less than 90 systolic after a 2-liter normal saline bolus or a lactate greater than 4. So every patient in this study was treated in a special ED ICU setting. These were six beds in the ED that were set aside for the most critically ill patients. Every patient got continuous cardiac and pulse ox monitoring, urinary catheterization, an A-line, and a central line placed above the diaphragm. In the standard care group, the CVP target was between 8 to 12, a MAP greater than 65, and urine output greater than 0.5 mLs per kg per hour. In the early goal directed therapy group, they did the same things as before, so a CVP between 8 and 12, a MAP greater than 65, and a urine output greater than 0.5 mLs per kg per hour, usually by doing boluses of normal saline. In the early goal directed therapy group, however, they added a goal SCVO2 above 70%, an O2 SAT of 93% or above, and a crit greater than 30% with the use of dobutamine if all those other things fail. Now, this introduced the use of continuous central venous oxygenation monitoring, or it has CVO2. This is a way of determining how effectively the oxygen is being delivered. So this is a central line that is placed in the tip of the superior vena cava. And so this measures blood that is coming back to the heart. If this blood has an oxygen saturation of at least 70%, then it means that the blood is supplying enough oxygen for the tissues. However, if it's below 70%, then the tissues probably need more oxygen because they're extracting such a high amount of oxygen from the blood that's coming back to the heart. So let's talk about the results. Overall, their primary outcome was a lower in-hospital mortality The mortality rate was 46.5% in the control group and 30.5% in the early goal-directed therapy group, which represents a 35% relative reduction in the risk of death. There was also a lower 28-day and 60-day mortality for the early goal-directed therapy group. Also, if you survived a hospital discharge, one of their secondary outcomes found that, on average, you spent about four fewer days in the hospital, so it seemed to decrease hospital utilization at least a little bit. Now let's talk about the specifics of what the study found. So the biggest difference between the control group and the intervention group was how much fluid the early goal-directed therapy group got in the first six hours. So by 72 hours into the study, both groups got the same amount of fluid, about 13.5 liters. However, in the patients in early goal-directed therapy, in the first six hours, they got about 1.5 liters more than those in the control group. So at the end, it all evened out but the people in the early goal-directed therapy group got their fluid faster than the patients in the control group. Also, there were more blood transfusions in the early goal-directed therapy group at every measured time period, and there was more dobutamine given in the first six hours for early goal-directed therapy to maximize cardiac squeeze and that uh, SCVO2. So fewer patients in the early goal-directed therapy group got pulmonary artery catheterization, So this is kind of an old-school way of guiding resuscitation. It's not really used a lot anymore because it didn't change management a lot, and it can lead to serious complications. So it was probably better for the patients in the only girl direct therapy group that they didn't get pulmonary artery catheters nearly as many times as the control group did. So what are some criticisms of this article? So the main issue is that this study used the Edwards Life Science catheter to continuously measure SCVO2. So this catheter costs about $1,000 a piece, And people really started asking, well, do we really need a continuous reading of SCVO2 or can we just draw blood from that regular central line that's sitting at the tip of the heart and just measure oxygen saturation every hour or two? And that's probably just as effective as well. So here's the bottom line. In the years since this article came out, 
The one thing people can agree on is that it made us much more aggressive with recognizing and treating sepsis in the ED. It has also made us more aggressive with getting patients upstairs and into the ICU instead of letting them stay in the ED for a long time. As far as the actual treatments, it's fluids, fluids, and more fluids for sepsis. The biggest difference between the control and the early goal-directed therapy group is that the early goal-directed therapy group got 1.5 more liters of fluid in the first six hours. You want to give these patients fluids until they need to be intubated. It is rare to run this early goal-directed therapy algorithm long enough to give someone blood transfusions in the ED, but that should be on your radar as well. I don't think there is anything magical about the continuous SCVO2 monitor, and you can probably do the same thing by drawing serial VBGs from the central line and looking at the oxygen saturation, which is the same thing as your SCVO2. So that's all I have for the River Sepsis article. Please email me your comments and suggestions, and if there's something that you'd like me to talk about, please let me know that too. Until next time, this is Steve Carroll, Free and Basic Central Evidence, signing off.